Ephesians chapter 2. We'll look at verses 11 through 22 this morning. We'll look at it uh, this week and again next week. This week we'll kind of just talk about the first half of this paragraph for the most part. <clears throat> Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. Um, J.B. Torrance was one of uh, a family of Torrances who have been excellent theologians in Scotland uh, primarily, and uh, he's got a, a great book uh, called Worship, Community, and the Triune God of Grace, and in that book he says, God is in the business of creating community. God is in the business of creating community. And Ephesians, what we have in Ephesians, Paul's letter here, is Paul's theology of community. That's what it is. It's a theology of the church. Uh, the church is the community of God, the, uh, God's people. So it's very interesting. I think it's more than just interesting to me. I think it should be interesting to all of us that, uh, that some of the most profound theology that's done anywhere in the Bible, the, the best thinking about God and his work, um, is found in a letter about the church. Um, the, the, the best theology done in the New Testament is found right here in a letter about the church. So when Paul puts on his thinking cap and he starts processing biblical themes, when he prays and considers who God is and what he's up to, and uh, when he puts pen to paper for an essay on what life is about, really, he writes a letter about the church. Uh, so good theology is about relationships, very simply. Good theology is about relationships, primarily our relationship with God, including um, our relationship with each other. Good theology is about relationships. There's a sense in which all the scriptures point to the church, the community of God. All the ancient writings, all the poems, all the scandals and sufferings of God's people, all the miracles and deliverances and promises, everything is meant to inform our theology, and all of it points to this community, the church, right? This little group that we have here, and all the little groups that are like it, uh, various sizes around the world, this is God's business. This is what he's about. Um, and it's because of who he is. He's the kind of God who is at work, and his work is the church. It is not just a side hobby for him. Right? It's his work. So when we think <clears throat> about God, which is what theology is, which is kind of when you talk about what what Christians believe, it's theology, it's what we think about God uh, as revealed according to his scriptures. We think, uh, when, we, when, we, when we think about God, we think quite a bit about the church also along the way, uh, like Paul's doing here. One commentator says about this passage that it's perhaps the most significant ecclesiological text in the New Testament. Uh, ecclesiology is theology about the church, right? And it's, it's probably perhaps the most significant text like that in the New Testament. The gist of it, the gist of our text, at least what we're going to look at this morning, primarily the first uh, big chunk of the paragraph, is this. It kind of boils down to this. Good news. There's a church. Good news. There's a church. Jesus Christ has already done it. The church is a thing because of the gospel. Um, it might not sound like much of an assertion, but... If that's true, if that's true, then it's actually a whole new approach to community for us, and it transfigures our engagement with each other in the church. So we need to let that sink in a little bit. That'll be good for us. So let me pray, then we'll read, uh, read what Paul has to say about it. <clears throat> Father, we pray that you would help us. I know that um, 
No amount of preparation can replace the need for your Spirit's work in our lives. So um, whether we're attentive to you, whether I've got all the best words to say, it's of no use if you don't visit us and implant your gospel and transform our minds and renew our hearts. You've got to do that work, and we know that you do it through your word, so we pray that you would bless your word as it goes forth this morning, that you would uh, do that work which only you can do and fix our minds on Christ in a, in a whole life-transforming way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, we were made for community. Um, We were made by a God who is community, right? Uh, One God whose being is three persons in community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So, community isn't just important. It's important to a lot of people, right? But it's not just important, and it's um, it's not just important to God. It's actually essential to God, to His nature. And, um... He's the one who made this universe as a place for community, and so it's, it's essential to the nature of the universe, and it's essential especially for us who are made in God's image. It's essential to humanity, right? The, the nature of humanity. Community is essential to us. And there's a lot of confusion about community. We don't do it very well, but there are still sort of these vestigial traces and shadows of it everywhere in society. Sociologists study community. Uh, city planners try to architect community. Uh, make room for it, and families and neighbors and friends all retain some kind of version of it, right? Some kind of version of community. But, um, but here's the problem with the world in terms of our relationships. I'm self-centered, and so are you, which makes true community impossible. It makes true community impossible when you've got self-centered people coming at this thing. Self-centered people put a lot of stipulations on our relationships. Right? Um, if we're going to be friends... I'm going to need you to put me first, (laughs) like I do. I'm going to need you to become more like me. I'm going to need you to think the way that I do about things, love the things that I love, hate the things that I hate, 
Um, and you've got the same requirements for me. So if, if you know, if we just don't kind of naturally have the same kind of backgrounds or shared perspectives or shared affinities, then we're just not going to connect very well. It's just not going to happen. We're not going to have community. Right? Find somebody else to have a relationship with where I do share background perspe uh, perspective or affinities. So you can't, you can't just let some, this makes sense to us. You can't just let someone who hates golf become a member of your country club, right? It just doesn't work. Uh, you can't let some landlocked Midwest farmer join your yacht club. You set bouncers at the door of the nightclub to do triage on people based on their appearance and their wealth, right? Um, you only let the people in who, who share affinities with you or, or they, they look like they have something to offer you, right? Uh, usually people self-select on that kind of thing. You know, the, the guy who hates golf is not going to sign up to be part of the golf club. Um, we just don't sign up if we're not interested, but we do want community. And we want it around those things. We want it with people who uh, are centered on the things that we are interested in. Right? And we feel lonely when we can't connect with people when we find ourselves always on the outside. Right? When you find yourself always far off on the outside, you, you start to feel lonely. We do need community. Uh, we want it. In the world, this is the way things are. Right? If you want to fit in, if you want to be part of that community, you've got to mold yourself to group expectations. Right? And if others want to fit in with your group, they need to be assimilated. They're going to have to change. Right? Um, you've seen all these inspirational movies having to do with sports, <clears throat> football, uh, military, um, where, where people, single individuals are trying to get into that group. They're trying to get onto that team. They're trying to get into this function in the military. Whatever it is, tons of inspirational movies made about this. They're trying to do that. They're trying to prove that they've got something to offer. They're trying to prove that they're worth being part of this group. Uh, they're trying to prove it desperately to people who don't naturally accept them, right? And what do they do? You know, the, the sports player, the, the football player uh, becomes the most impressive athlete, athlete, surprisingly enough to everybody so that everybody accepts him, right? Uh, the female uh, who wants to be um, uh, in the military, what does she do? She trains as hard as any man and shows she's got what it takes and so they finally accept her, right? You mold yourself to be able to fit in, to meet people's expectations, and then you'll find acceptance. Right? That's the way the world does community. If everybody aligns with the stated values, with the guidelines, with the behaviors, then maybe we'll have community. And that was the mindset of the Jews and the Gentiles uh, in Paul's time. So the Jews, this is all ancient history, uh, the Jews uh, derided the godless Gentiles, and they said, you know, God really loves us. He's chosen us. If you want to be part of God's people, you're going to have to become like us, right? Um, if you want to be part of what we're doing, what, what we've got going on here, you're going to need to fit in. So you've got to have to get yourself circumcised. You're going to have to start keeping dietary laws, uh, act this way, live this way. Then, yeah, we'll accept you. You'll still kind of be second-class citizens in our mind, right? But, um, but if you change yourself... If you mold yourself to the expectations around here, then maybe you could fit in. Maybe we can have community based on these things. And Paul knows, <clears throat> and he, he reminds the Gentiles that he's writing to, he says they, they actually were outsiders. Right? 
They actually were outsiders, and he thinks it's good for them to remember that. He repeats it. He repeats himself a couple times. He says, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what's called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, um, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. He's laying it on, right? Several negatives. They're defined by what they're not. Um, Remember, he says, remember, you used to be defined negatively this way by what you lacked in terms of your relationships, in terms of your community, in terms of your connection to God and to God's people. You were on the outside, and that defined you. You were outsiders. You were far off. And that, <clears throat> that's something you see not just applying to the Gentiles uh, in the Scriptures, but in the Old Testament you see in Hosea chapter 2. God is talking to his people. He's talking to the Jews um, who just are always in this constant state of like, rebellion against God, forgetting his, uh, his grace toward them, forgetting his deliverance, forgetting his goodness and wandering away from him and living life their own way. Um, and so he declared that his people would be named by what they lacked. They would be identified by what they lacked. He calls them, he gives them a new name, and he says, you now are going to be called no mercy. You are going to be called not my people. That's your new name. Uh, In Hebrew, it's uh, lo ruama is no mercy. That's your name. And lo ami, not my people. That's your name. That's That's what identifies you. Right? Because of your sin. And he says this, this is the promise that he makes to his people, uh, to, to the people who are not my people, he says, because of their uh, chosen rebellion against him. He says, I will have mercy on no mercy. I will say to not my people, you are my people. And I will be your God and you'll be my people. And So their lack of relationship to God defined them. They were identified, they were named by what they lacked in their relationship to God, their community with God. Yet he promised to them a relationship, a relationship of mercy. And uh, in the New Testament, the profound thing is that it wasn't just limited to Israel, this this relationship, this promise that you're going to be my people, you're going to be a people of mercy, you who were previously defined as not that, you're going to be that to the Gentiles, to the whole world, right? Everybody who's not a Jew, that's kind of the... In, in the Bible, there's two types of people. There's Jews and not Jews, right? Um, and so even, even those who are not God's people would be brought in. That's what the promise is. And that's what you see in Paul's letter. He says, uh, now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. By the blood of Christ, in Christ, right? This is the gospel of reconciliation. This is the gospel of reintegration, the gospel of community. Uh, You were outsiders, but God has brought you inside. You were far off in and of yourselves because of who you are and what you've done. You were out there. You were far off. God has brought you near by the blood of Christ. Uh, So God the Son, this is what this looked like. God the Son, who's the second person of the Trinity, who has enjoyed blessed community in the Godhead from eternity. He went, he left his home, he went into the far country in order to bear our humanity home to God. He became a human, and he suffered the loss of community. 
he who is part of the Trinity, blessed community forever, suffered the loss of his community with his father when he shed his blood and died at the cross. And somehow, somehow in that moment of sacrifice, um, that substitution, uh, that death in our place, he removed all the barriers between us and God and restored our community to God. He did it. Jesus Christ did it through his life and through his death, says, uh, Paul says, at the, at the cross by the blood of Christ. So he is our mediator. Right? He is, Paul says, our peace. He is our peace with God, first and foremost, so that when we come to God through Jesus Christ, we come for blessed community, and it's unlike any community that we can try to fabricate in the world, right? Because... Uh, it comes from a different source. That, that community that Jesus Christ grants us freely as, uh, as a gift through his own sacrifice, that community includes community with each other. He is our peace. That's what Paul's saying. He's, he's, the, he's our peace, not just between us and God, but between different types of people in the church. Right? He is our peace. And so he says in verse 13, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one. He's broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man or one new humanity in place of the two, so making peace. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So, Reconciliation with God results in reconciliation to one another. When Jesus Christ is our mediator between us and God, he reconciles us to God, it also reconciles us to one another as we are found in Christ. Only through him. Only through his cross. And so Jesus is our peace and nothing else. And that's pretty profound, right? Because it's not you're molding yourself to fit in with any group. That is your peace. It's not the assimilation of others to meet um, your, your, our expectations for them. That's not where we find peace in our relationships, in our community. It's not when I change or when you change to, to meet the guidelines, right? The approved behavior standards, the approved ways of thinking, the approved preferences or perspectives. It's not when we change that we find peace. Jesus is our peace. Jesus is our peace. Jesus, um, the, the Jews could no longer even use God's law, is what Paul's saying. They could no longer even use God's law to keep Gentiles out of the community. They couldn't think of themselves as the insiders and the Gentiles as the outsiders, and they're going to have to start keeping God's law if they want to join us. They couldn't even use God's law that way anymore, right? Uh, Jesus is the one who brought those Gentiles in. And the Jews had just as much need for exactly that same kind of grace. They had to be brought in too, right? We've all got to be brought in by Jesus. He's the one who does the work. The church is his business. It's his work. It says in verse 17, and he came, Jesus came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. 
So, so restoration to true community um, with God and with each other, it does not depend on who we are. It does not depend on how we behave. It really doesn't even depend on how we think, whether we've got it all sorted out theologically. It depends on Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one who reconciles us to God and to each other, and only him. Uh, Eugene Peterson says, church is not what we do. It is what God does. So in the church, we, we can't even unite around good things like, uh, like obeying God's law, like the Jews were trying to make the Gentiles do. You, you can't unite around that. You can't have your peace around how well you conform to the standards of God's law. Right? You cannot find your peace in this community uh, based on our grasp of doctrine together, based on our personal devotion, based on the fruits of the Spirit in our lives, based on the, the works of service that we perform. Our unity cannot be found in those things. Right? Our unity isn't established on anything in ourselves, and that's great news. It really is great news. Uh, it means that all you need for true community with God, for true community with each other, is Jesus Christ, and you already have him. He's already given himself for you for that very purpose. We were made in God's image for community. We lost that community through sin. We need it restored, and in Christ we have it. This is all past tense for Paul. Uh, We already have community restored. The church is a thing. So Herman Bavink says that um, that which unites all true Christians is always more than that which separates them. That which unites all true Christians is always more than that which separates them. And since that's true, Paul says now that we have the ability really to love, really to be changed, to be more like Jesus. That's kind of what the rest of the the book uh, of Ephesians is about. But that's the effect. That's the effect of the gospel on a community that's already been established by God's grace. The gospel has created the church And the effect that it has on you is your ability to love and participate and uh, and live like that's true. So loving is not what creates the community. You're loving, uh, you're doing things that other people can't complain about. That's not what establishes our community, right? It's already been established by Jesus. So we just need to let that sink in. Here's some applications for that. Actually, the first application is you should just think about that. You should think about what that means and, and think about how um, uh, you've maybe been trying to establish community in the church, trying to establish real relationships with each other, not based on Jesus Christ, but on the ways that you can mold yourself into other people's expectations or the expectations that you have for others that they need to assimilate to your, your pattern of expectations. We just need to think about that. We need to let this change our perspective and revolutionize our approach to thinking about church, right? The church is a thing. It's not something we're trying to accomplish, that maybe if we do it right, we'll have it, that we should probably all lament and complain about all the time because we don't have perfection yet, right? Um, That stuff is not what our unity is based on. We need to think about that. We need to do more ecclesiology, right? Theology about the church, thinking about the church. This is, it's, it's a, it's a huge problem for the American church where we've got individualism and, you know, my relationship with God. That's what Christianity is, right? Just me and God, me and Jesus. Yeah. Uh, no, we need to think about the church, think about what God is doing in the church. 
So, uh, I mean, this is, this is normal for us. You get to know somebody by finding out what they do for work, right? You meet somebody new or you're talking with a friend about how things are going for them. You ask about their work. You find out what's going on there, how they are interacting, how, how that's changing their lives, what's important to them there in that, in that sphere, in their work, right? You get to know somebody by finding out about their work. Well, God is in the business of creating community. This is his work. If you want to get to know God, he's the God of the church. He's the God of the gospel of Jesus Christ that established the church that you're a part of. Um, So get to know God. Do theology, the theology of the church. Do ecclesiology more prayerfully. That's, uh, That's very clear that that's what Paul is doing here throughout this letter. He's got a few times where he records uh, pretty lengthy prayers, right? Um, So as you think about the church and you think about God, the God of the church, then do that thinking more prayerfully. It it won't just be good for your personal relational knowledge of God because you'll be praying about other people. You'll be praying for other people. It'll be good for others in the church as you pray along the lines of Paul's prayers that are found here in Ephesians 1 and and chapter 4. Um, Here's a hard one. Here's a hard application. Be explicitly conscious of Jesus Christ as the mediator between you and God and the mediator between you and other people. The one in whom we are united. The one who is our unity, who is our peace. He's our mediator. Be, Be explicitly conscious of the fact that when you look at a brother or a sister in the church, you're not just looking at them in and of themselves because if you were, you'd just have a lot to complain about and community would be hopeless. Right? But look at them in Jesus Christ. See Jesus Christ in them. Look for Christ in them. And um, celebrate Christ in them. Celebrate God's work in the church as you worship together. Right? We're worshiping together um, in Christ. And it'll shape all of us. It'll shape you because your perspective's being shaped to see Christ in each other. And it'll shape them because the things you'll say to them will be much better, right? The way that you'll engage with your brothers and sisters in the church will be much better if you're engaging with them as you would engage with Jesus Christ himself. He is our peace. He is our unity. Um, So be explicit and deliberate and conscious about that. Imitate Paul, who is, uh, is the consummate insider for the outsiders, Right? He's the Jew. He's the guy who has kind of found himself on the inside of God's work and uh, found himself really pulled in by the grace of Jesus Christ. He's on the inside. He's an apostle. He's a Jew. Uh, but he's for the outsider. He's the apostle to the Gentiles. Right? He's the apostle for people who are different from him, who would not share natural affinities. In fact, who are kind of natural enemies. Right? He's, the, he's the apostle for them. And we need to imitate what it, what it means for him to be the consummate insider for the outsider, right? So be welcoming of others. <clears throat> you receive them as brothers uh, in Christ's name, in Christ's name alone, not heaping up the burdens of expectations on them that they need to meet so that they'll fit in and be able to integrate well into your church, into your community, into your relationships. But in Christ's name, you're welcoming to them, right? And of course... Um, you know, they're, 
their gracious reception by God, when you extend the hospitality, the, the welcoming reception of Jesus Christ himself to outsiders, when you extend that to them, uh, that gracious reception and inclusion into the church should have its effect uh, of renewing their lives. Right? We're not talking about something where you just come as you are and don't worry about changing at all, ever. But when you come and you're integrated, first you find peace and then you find motivation for, for change, right? And you really do find motivation for change, but that's not a prerequisite for coming, coming in and be wel- being welcomed, right? For being part of our community. You don't have to change first. But if you're really uh, welcomed by, by God, by his grace, through Jesus Christ, then, um, then you will change. So, but people's bad theology, as you're welcoming them, people's bad behavior, these should not be obstacles to welcome, welcoming them into our community. Right. Um, let, me, uh, let me close with a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who um, really, I, I actually wrestled with whether or not to just read the first chapter of his book, Life Together. That's kind of what he's talking about, this whole thing. Uh, and he says it a lot better than I do. If you have that book, you should go reread it, the first chapter about community. <clears throat> but this is... Uh, This is good for us. He says, It is not simply to be taken for granted that the Christian has the privilege of living among other Christians. He quotes Psalm 133. He says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. This is the Scripture's praise of life together under the Word. But now we can rightly interpret the words in unity and say, Behold, how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together through Christ. For Jesus Christ alone is our unity. He is our peace. Through him alone do we have access to one another, joy in one another, and fellowship with one another. So put your faith in Christ and uh, see one another in Christ. He's the foundation for our community here in the church. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would continually fix our minds on Jesus You would help us because it's very difficult for us to live by faith where we see Jesus Christ in each other, even though we're confronted with uh, the sins and failures and and ugliness of each other and even in ourselves. All of these would be barriers to to community if we did community the way the world does it, but uh, you've already established it. It's, It's good news for us that we have been brought near. You have made peace between us and all of our brothers and sisters, everyone who claims the name of Christ. And so we pray that you would help us to see Christ as the center of our community, help, him to, help us to see him as our mediator between us and you and between us and each other. And we pray that as we do so, then uh, that your love and your kingdom would advance in our midst, that we would grow, that we would be changed into the likeness of Jesus Christ who has already inserted himself right into the middle of our lives and our relationships. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.